You're listening to Ants Talk. Andrew Patterson is a Sydney-based crime writer and ex-detective. He was a detective sergeant in the Western Australian Police Force while working in pedophilia and vice. He then moved on to writing his very first novel, Harry's World, in 2015 that won several awards internationally. Thank you for joining me today, Andrew. How are you? My pleasure, Ant, and I'm very well. Thank you very much. And a very wet day in Sydney. Oh, is it really? It's, we've finally got a really nice day here in Adelaide, which is surprising because <laughs> it's normally miserable. <laughs> so, Andrew, I just wanted to um, ask if I could, can you tell us about the, uh, your career in the police force? What led you into it? Uh, that's one of those interesting questions um, because I, I wasn't uh, one of those kids that grew up always wanting to be a copper, <laughs> as, uh, as some do. Um, Actually, I uh, had dropped out of university, a very uh, inglorious uh, half an arts degree, <laughs> and uh, was uh, sort of looking for something to do and happened to end up sharing a house with a guy who was a copper, young copper, and hence got to uh, meet a few of his colleagues, found out a bit more about it, and thought, uh, well, I might give that a go. So that was basically <laughs> my start to it. And once I had become a cop, I did five years in uniform and then I went into detectives and and never really looked back. I I thoroughly enjoyed my time. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting career. My nephew has just actually become a policeman himself. He's started out in uniform in Brisbane. Um, Uh, And even just talking to him myself, it's, you know, the things that he's already had to see in his first year and experience is, is quite, you know, overwhelming for the, you know, the normal person I'm assuming. Look, I, I'd agree with that. I think there's a lot of things you end up having to see and do in, in most t- different types of police work, but things which we're not programmed for. Um, and obviously you, you simply have to try and deal with them. So mm. some do have a lasting impression on you clearly, but, uh, that's, I guess that's just part of the job and you, I think the, the trick to it, um, if I can call it that, is really learning how to compartmentalise inside so that you tend to try and abstract a lot of the things you're dealing with, uh, which can work quite well, you know, going to you know, scenes of dead bodies and that sort of stuff, but um, it becomes harder when you're dealing with, um, with victims of, of crimes and obviously you're having to speak with them and meet with them and get evidence from them. So that makes it a little bit harder because you've got that direct human interface with them. Yeah. How did you work, uh, end up working in pedophilia advice? Was it a choice or is it something that they um, instructed? Well, they're, they're actually separate. So the, the pedophilia side of it, I, I, one of my probationary stretches as a detective, uh, I went to uh, work in the child, what they call the child abuse unit over there. And just found that the work was uh, incredibly satisfying. So uh, when it came time to uh, opt for a permanent posting, um, I asked to go back there. And as you can probably uh, imagine, it's not a squad that uh, there are people exactly queuing up to get into. Yeah. So um, I went back there and, and spent uh, about uh, well, just under six years back there at that point. So was that in New uh, South Wales they, or was that in um, Western Australia? No, that was, that was in Western Australia. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that was about six years. And then they, <clears throat> internal politicking and, and lots of um, 
uh, backstory there, but uh, effectively they then moved me or forced me to leave, and I went to Vice for my last um, what turned out to be my last eighteen months. So when you say Vice, <laughs> no, can you explain of... Vice to me? Okay, so Vice over there was uh, essentially policing the adult sex industry. Right. So it was policing the brothels, um, other parlours, uh, the adult sex shops, uh, the uh, adult magazine um, film industry. So, And it was one of those bizarre um, situations. And as I understand it, it, it legally it's still the same because in the 1970s, I think it was, there was a Royal Commission in Western Australia into corruption between the police and the sex industry. Uh, no great surprises there, of course. Yeah. And as a result, the Royal Commissioner recommended that legislation be brought in to le legalise and regulate the industry, effectively as it is in most other parts of Australia. Yeah. And in the in interim, he suggested that the Police Commissioner set up what they called a containment policy, which essentially what meant that the Police Commissioner, through the Vice Squad, had a list of brothels which were allowed to operate. Now, this, uh, I know it all sounds rather crazy, but that was the way it operated. So when I got to the vice squad in 98, uh, they were still operating on that basis uh, because no government had ever been prepared to change the legislation. Wow. So over 20 years after that Royal Commission, they were still operating on that basis. Uh, and the, you know, some of the ironies of that were, of course, that you you had to go around to these brothels um, effectively to to police them and make sure that this, the rules that the police commissioner had set down were being followed. Uh, and yet they're all technically criminal enterprises. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, the the, the thing which uh, I, I found quite hilarious uh, to start with, but was uh, when we'd go down our evening rounds um, to visit the various establishments in the city, the tax office would have a special agent who would come and join us. Yeah. And his job was to uh, sit down with the girls and make sure they'd uh, all filled out their tax forms correctly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a receipt sort of for that? that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's sort of one of those surreal type situations where you know, you're looking at what, what were under the law criminal enterprises and yet the tax office were officially sending around a representative with us to, to make sure that all the paperwork was done correctly. It's so, quite bizarre. And as I understand it, it's still pretty well the same situation. They still haven't yeah. legislated uh, appropriately over there. But it, it was, uh, at the same time, it was, it was a fascinating look at a completely different side of society um, and, and meeting some really, really interesting people. Yeah. And, of course, the sex industry has a huge range uh, within it. So, you know, you had the, the parlours and the brothels uh, sort of around the middle of it we, we dealt with because we had to register a lot of the uh, women working in the industry. Um, so you had your, your very high-class ladies at the top end of the market. Uh, and then, of course, you had um, the uh, tend to be young girls who um, you know, obviously had drug issues and um, abuse issues in their backgrounds and, and were on the street working. So... That was obviously the far more depressing side of the industry. So were you still working in that industry or in that part of the police force when sort of the internet took over? Because that's changed things a lot, hasn't it? Um, because you wouldn't be able to... It has. To... I mean, I, yeah. So the um, in, in relation to the, the whole pedophilia side of it, of course, it's... Uh, I mean, that, that's, that's massive now, particularly on the dark web. Yeah. Um, it was just starting. I think um, we actually... Um, ended up with the first child porn arrest on the internet in, in Australia. And that was back in 95 from memory. Wow. 
and we'd actually got some information from um, colleagues in Victoria, but uh, and they were out to do raids as well. <laughs> By luck, we we pit them at the post. So we technically uh, had the first arrest uh, for anything to do with um, online child pornography. Uh, but it was really in its infancy. That was you know, back in the days of the old bulletin boards yeah. and, and those sort of things. So it was very much in its infancy. Uh, but it was clear that it was going to become much more of a problem. Um, and it's certainly at that point, the, 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 the police force that I worked in weren't really taking it that seriously at all. Well, funny enough, a friend, well, he's not really a friend. I mean, I, it's someone that I knew from my childhood, Roman Quadvillage. He um, was actually dealing with all of that in his past. And I actually saw a news article that he'd done. It was like an interview um, about working in that whole sort of area. And it really triggered my interest because I thought to myself, I'd love to do that. I'd love to be able to go online and trick people into thinking I was a child and get them, you know, caught. And I actually think I'd be really good at it. I don't know why I just do. (laughs) And I I just think that the work that those guys and like yourself do it's just phenomenal because it's it's stuff that majority of us will never ever see or witness in our life um and yet you guys are seeing it daily and you know dealing with not only the you know one side of society which is the pure innocence of children but then also the other side the pure evil of adulthood you know look and i think it's it's a, it's a good thing that the majority of people will never have to uh, experience it or witness it um, obviously, sadly, some do. And I think that certainly with reflecting back on my time doing that work, uh, and without a doubt, those sort of six years or so that I spent doing that work were by far the, the best years of, of my career in, in anywhere. Uh, I think it's <clears throat> the, the twofold. One is that obviously children are the, are the people who are least able to protect themselves in yeah. society. Um, and secondly, obviously, I think the... Uh, the, the, the predatory behaviours uh, of those who engage in those type of crimes uh, really rank amongst the, uh, to me, the, the, the worst of the you know, criminal types out there. Yeah, no, I agree. I look at animals and children the same. That you know, they sort of they're unable to say no or to stop or, you know, any of the other words that you can say to sort of keep those people at bay. Um, what I was also going to ask is, um, what, do you, what are some of the things that we don't hear in the media around those issues? Do you think there's anything that we don't sort of... Look, I think it's... Uh, things have got a lot better in that regard. I know that uh, when I started in that work in the, in the very early 90s, I mean, even within the police force, um, and the squad's nickname was the Nappy Squad, and... It was, it wasn't work. It was regarded as a serious detective work. You know, the serious detectives were all in drugs and armed um, robbery and homicide, and um, <clears throat> so so child abuse wasn't rated very highly. I think the profile of that obviously has changed a lot um, over the last, certainly the last twenty years, uh, which I think is is very a good thing for society. I think what we are seeing a lot more recognition of now, and particularly with the uh, very comparatively very recent Royal Commission into institutional responses to child abuse. Uh, we're seeing, obviously, much more exposure of, of how institutions have not only perpetrated these crimes, but then covered them up, of course. Yeah. Um, and and you know, the church is right fairly highly on that score. Um, and obviously very topical at the moment as well. 
So I think there's there's much more recognition uh, that this this is a crime which cuts across all levels of society, uh, and including the high levels of society. Yeah. And that was certainly one of the factors, and this is my personal opinion, but that was one of the factors, I think, in, in terms of, of the, our pedophile team eventually getting shut down uh, because we were starting to get um, some inroads, if I can put it that way, uh, into some higher-level crimes. I, I think the other thing that I think, well, from where I read it, it, it is becoming more publicised, but I, I think there's probably still room for better understanding or better recognition of this across society generally. And that is that the vast majority of children who become victims do know their attackers. Yeah. So, uh, and I, you know, certainly the, 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 traditionally there was always the, you know, teaching in schools about stranger danger yeah. and that sort of thing. Now, look, I'm not saying that that doesn't have some relevance. It does. Um, but the whole stereotype of, of the dirty old man in the raincoat down, down the playground um, the problem with that is whilst, yes, you do get occasional pedophiles that fit that mould, but the problem with that is, of course, that deflects attention from where the real risks lie. Yeah. Um, and that tends tends to be, obviously, with you know, with people that children know. Um, and, and obviously predators of that nature put a lot of effort into grooming um, mm. kids. Um, I mean, you've so even got a case just lately of the little girl with the uh, security guard in the shopping centre. So, you know... It comes from all angles, really, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think it, it's it's really a case of, of people needing to be aware of it, um, and I think more understanding that you know, these things do happen, and and the parents do need to be be alert to that. But also, more importantly, I'm giving kids the right information, yeah, so that they can tend to work out, or hopefully, work out when things are potentially going wrong. That was actually um, one of my next time, questions though, was um, what advice would you offer a parent, especially in these days of social media? Oh, social media makes it a whole lot harder, of course. It does. Um, it's, yeah. Look, I, I think um, I think probably there's more uh, more imperative now, I think, for, for parents probably to have those talk, you know, talks around sex and those issues at a younger age probably than, you know, we certainly when I was growing up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, yeah, so that so the kids do. And look, I mean, I think particularly with exposure to a lot of stuff uh, online um, and with social media and, and all the devices, I think uh, kids are probably becoming aware of things at a lot of younger age anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it's, it's really a case of uh, whilst you know, the risks uh, haven't changed in, the, in their essential form, obviously the, the mediums have potentially altered but mm. i think it's still really a case of, of making kids aware of okay these are the things that can happen out there and, and these are the things you need to watch for funny enough there's a new app called tiktok which um is aimed at a lot of younger kids um and i mean although there's adult i mean i'm on it myself so there's adults on it too because it's sort of it, it was originally set up so you could almost be like an Australian idol. So you could go on there, you could sing a song and people would like it or not. Yeah. Now it's almost okay. changed. <laughs> so what they're actually doing is they're miming to a song. So you can have Britney Spears on their music, which you're miming to. And then, right. you know, people are, people are just so clever on there because, you know, with their editing and filming skills and all this sort of stuff, they make some amazing, like they're almost like short films. They're absolutely brilliant. Um, but what I've noticed on there myself over the, you know, sort of 
I don't know, I've probably been on there for about six months, eight months, is there's a lot of adults on there that are protecting kids because uh, there were a lot of predatory people on there that were targeting kids and supposedly sending them private messages and, you know, even doing some weird things on camera because you can also go live on there and stuff like that. Um, and what I'm finding right. now is there will be adults on there that are actually calling out these people and will actually attach their profile and put it up on their little video saying, let's get this guy off this, this app, let's report him. And people go for it and they actually do it and they, they get rid of these people off the actual app themselves, which is a great thing because it's, it's, it's almost people power, you know, we're yep. sort of fighting back ourselves, which is a great thing. This is Ants Talk. Tell us about sure. your first novel, Harry's World. What is it based on? <laughs> Okay. It, well, it's based on, uh, I guess, a lot of things that I've seen uh, along the way, not just um, in the police, but also you know, doing corruption investigations, which is what I've spent a fair bit of my time in Sydney doing. And look, I mean, I, I had wanted to, to write for a while and I was playing around with various bits and pieces. And then I didn't actually set out intending to write crime originally. But you keep hearing the mantra, you know, write what you know, write what you know. So I started having a play around with it and actually started to find I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, I like reading uh, that hard-boiled style of crime. So uh, I then came up with my character, Harry, who is an ex-cop by myself, um, although he, le- he left in different circumstances. <laughs> um, uh, and he's, he's now a private investigator. Uh, and sort of in that uh, in that mould of the, the hard drinking, womanising style of guy, yeah. uh, but with uh, with a good heart, um, and and a very keen sense of justice. So one of the motivations for me in writing, apart from obviously wanting to provide entertainment, and you know, look, I'm uh, I don't write uh, high class literature, although I'm not quite sure <laughs> how people define that these days. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's about telling stories that hopefully people are going to enjoy. Uh, but one of the big motivations for me was wanting to, whilst it's in a fictional form, putting out there to people, this is what goes on out there in society, both in terms of crime and in terms of, of government corruption. So there's there's some fairly um, explicit exposés uh, of, of things along those lines um, in both books. But um, yeah, so that was that was a lot of the impetus for it. Um, and I've, I've just really enjoyed getting into the whole writing process and mm. creating the characters and, and building them and building their worlds and having things happen to them. It's, it's fascinating. So was there a little, uh, but a, it, a little it, bit of truth in some of the stories? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to read it now. You, you've got me hooked. <laughs> So, uh, look, there, there's a lot of the episodes in there um, are based, uh, at least in part, uh, on things that I've, I've seen or things I've investigated. Um, there's, there's a couple of things in there which are complete creations from my own imagination. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the things are uh, at least partly, uh, if not significantly based on, on things that I've seen. Uh, obviously, names have been changed. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Save those lawsuits. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah change the names to protect the guilty um but uh look i mean it's it's one of the things i love about that crime writing generally when i read it is it's 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 an excellent vehicle 
to make social commentary. Now, look, a lot of writing is, is can be used as a vehicle for that, but I, I find that crime writing, particularly the, the hard-boiled variety, because it is very much enmeshed with um, our society um, and, and particularly the darker side of it. So I think in terms of making some social comment, uh, it's, it's a very good avenue for that. Obviously, you need to be careful you don't climb on your soapbox yeah, yeah. <laughs> and start putting the reader off with too much of a rant. I, um, I, I hope I don't do that too much, but uh, I've certainly got a few points that I want to make along the way, absolutely. Funny enough, I'm also an artist and that's basically my way of doing the same thing is I, I, I use, I, I do collage art, but I manipulate everything with paint and ink and stuff like that. And it's sort of my way of saying stuff. I don't, I don't feel I'm allowed to say in any other medium, you know what I mean? So on Facebook or even in person, but it, it's my, my way of saying a real stuff you to society. And this is what I really <laughs> truly think. Um, and I think that that is very similar to what you're doing with your books. Yeah, look, absolutely. I, I can I can fully relate to that, and it's it is a very good way of being able to say things like that, and and people challenge you and say, well, it's only fiction at the end of the day. Exactly, it's just a painting. <laughs> or in your case, it's, it's, it's painting. That's right. That's <laughs> I love it. Uh, but you know, all all uh, you know, all, all good art, um, whatever format it's in, um, has meaning behind it. Exactly, exactly. Oh, there's so much thought and process that goes into it. It's incredible. I don't think most people even realise how much goes into each piece that we do <laughs> no exactly right and i mean i have never i've never painted or anything of the visual art format so i can't really comment on that but i, I know from a from a writing perspective you know the uh, yeah, first draft is one thing but then there's there's layers yeah. and layers and layers of editing that you go through with playing well, it's, with it's the words so raw too because i mean with my artwork i can sort of hide what I'm saying, do you know what I mean? Where when you're writing, it's all out there. You don't get to really hide right. it. It's, it's it's there. It's in black and white. Yeah, certainly yeah. is. And also, you you did um another book, Harry's Quest. Is that yes? Just a so that, that's the, of the story. Yeah, that's right. So that's the sequel. So uh, at the end of Harry's World, uh, it's it's quite clear to anybody reading it that there's more to come. Um, Harry's uh, Harry's backstory is that he, he lost a child to pedophiles uh, originally. And so that's certainly one of his big driving forces. So, and without giving any spoilers, but basically at the end of the first book, Harry's World, Harry then comes into sufficient information to start his hunt or his quest, which is the title for the second book. Wow. So he basically then um, wants, to, wants to obviously go and get vengeance for his uh, murdered daughter. So you grab me. I'm going to uh, be wanting to read this book now. <laughs> you really well, grabbed as, me. As I said in an essay, I had I was published in the American magazine recently. I said, uh, you know, um, have a read, but please bring your bag of fortitude with you because, <laughs> as, as a couple of reviewers have said, that uh, the, the books are not for the faint-hearted. So wow, that's uh, good. I like that. I like gritty. Uh, I, well, they're gritty, okay. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll love it then. Uh, which is is. But that, that's very much how, how I want to write. And um, you know, look, I mean, different horses, of courses, and, and they're not, not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And then some people like sort of the, the gentle, cosy type crime stories and all the rest of it. And that's fine if, if that's what people like. But uh, no, I, like, I like the hard school. So yes. gritty um, and, and, and hard going at times. Well, it's, it's more reality. I mean, that's what I see it as. I mean, you know, you're 
I can't even remember half those crime women shows that are on TV with some old women and a woman in a hat with a handbag that runs around solving crimes like that. Never interests me. I've always got to have something that's pretty and real. <laughs> well, you're definitely far more down, uh, down my end of the spectrum then. <laughs> exactly. I'll be reading. So what types of books do you like reading yourself apart from the crime? Uh, well, I do read uh, a lot of crime, um, and so, certainly uh, mainly down the, the, the hard-boiled uh, and noir side of it. Yeah. Uh, I do like a, a good um, uh, police-type crime novel, uh, particularly when they're written by uh, ex-cops. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they, they tend to get that level of detail so spot on. I actually run a project on my website called Cops Writing Crime. Uh, I and I've compiled that. a what turned out to be quite a significant list much bigger. I thought it was going to be a very small project. <laughs> I was wrong. So I've got uh, a lot of, and I'm just looking for cops or ex cops who write fiction. And there's a lot of obviously ex cops who write true crime and stuff out there, but that's not my interest area. Yeah. Uh, but when you do read some of these, um, and I've read a few of them now, um, but yes, they're descriptions of, of police life and police out there on the streets. You just think, Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I, can, I can I can feel myself in that squad car, you know. It's uh, <laughs> I actually um, um, that can I've, be very good as well. I've just gotten into podcasts and I'm listening to Michelle Laurie's um, True Crime Australia podcast at the moment, and it's such a fascinating podcast because what she does is she goes through and interviews sort of you know parents of you know, whose child was murdered or victims of crime or, you know, she delves into literally everything and there's a lot of episodes. So there's a lot of different stories that you can actually listen to Um, because crimes, crimes always fascinated me. I just find it so interesting. And, you know, it's such a, it's such a uh, introspective look on humanity and society and it's, it's fascinating. I absolutely love it. Um, I know you just recently did an author's trip to the USA. How was the book received? That was great. I, I, um, my, my entree to that was actually through short stories because I've had uh, some short stories published in, uh, well, now two magazines over there, but predominantly uh, a magazine called Switchblade, which uh, publishes uh, just in the subgenre of hard-boiled and noir. So that was my entree to uh, that scene over there. Um, and obviously the, the crime writing scene, well, the writing scene generally, but certainly the crime writing scene is, is huge over there and much more of a market for it mm. and much more, much bigger range too uh, of the sort of material uh, that is getting published. So, um, <coughs> no, that, that was fascinating. It was also my first trip to the US, which was uh, uh, really, really interesting. And I, I really part, enjoyed what it. What part of the country did you go to? No, we we just went to California. Okay. So San Francisco, um, Los Angeles, uh, San Jose, um, I love Napa it Valley. So. I love yeah, it. Yeah, look, I'll definitely be going back. It, it's yeah. um, very laid back. And look, I have to say, one of the things, one of my really big takeaways from the trip was just how damn positive they all are. Yeah, they are. And it, it's that sort of optimism. It, it becomes quite infectious. And I really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed it. It was just a completely different sort of take. And People always um, say to me, like, I've, I've been fascinated with the States all of my life and especially in New York. Um, and when I went over for the first time, I, I, I got to see New York and LA 
and I fell in love with both cities, but I've always loved New York for some reason. It's just there. But it's funny that every time I'm there, I, I feel like I'm at home and I feel energized and I feel like anything's possible. And people, yep. when I come back, people are like, well, why would you want to live there? You know, Donald Trump and and I just think to myself, regardless of that, even with all of that happening, those people are still so positive, still aiming yep. for their dreams. I mean, whatever age they are, they're still reaching for those stars, you know? And I just think to myself, it's such a clever thing. Yep. No, they're very much my impression too. I mean, I'd love to go to New York. Uh, so that's, uh, that's on the list. <laughs> yeah, it's a definite must too. But yeah, the, the, the whole attitude, um, I, I really, really uh, enjoyed that with, with the people over there. So it was, it was a great experience. But look, the, the writing went down well. They, they were very receptive having uh, an Australian uh, writer okay. there. So I had, the, I had the two events. One was the uh, Switchblade Authors Evening at uh, one of the big independent bookshops in LA. So that was the first reading event. Uh, and then uh, I also managed to get myself an invitation to the Noir at the Bar uh, reading, which was uh, their eighth anniversary one at this uh, very sort of down market sort of dive bar, which was a fantastic venue. I love it. And uh, that, that's quite a big thing over there. So I'm actually in the process now of trying to organise the first Noir at the Bar event in Sydney. Oh, that'd be brilliant. It's never been done before here. It has been done in Melbourne a couple of times. Um, the, the Melbourne-based crime writer Andrew Nett um, has uh, previously organised a couple, and I've been talking to him about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that's very much something I'd love to get going here if, if I can make it work. That'd be and, amazing. I've already got some interest from some authors, so that, would uh, be just, that is really is having having readings and and it's in a nice informal atmosphere. People can come along and you know over a drink or two, they can listen to some readings, they can talk to authors, yeah, uh, and really just trying to turn them and build it up there. But again, I mean that that's something that I found in America. Just that there's so much enthusiasm for everything. And yeah, happen. Whereas, um, yeah. Anyway, funny <laughs> I'm enough, um, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it my best go. Funny enough, here in Adelaide, I actually only went to recently. Um, I was invited as a judge, to be honest. Uh, it, so it was basically a night where people could get up and they could perform, they could sing, they could do a reading of a poem, they could do a part, you know, a reading of their book. And I was actually shocked that when I turned up, I thought, eh, there might be three people that turn up. The room was actually filled. Like, it was filled. There was right. probably 30 people there. I reckon at least 12 of those people got up to do readings. It was a hard job for me then to have to judge because there was some brilliant... <laughs> I'm not joking. There okay. were some people that blew me away. Like, they were so good. And so, therefore, I was left in the difficult position that I had to pick one winner. <laughs> I was not liking that at all, but I managed to get through. Uh. <laughs> so, you never know. You know what I mean? Like, it, it could take off if, you know, you just got to get the right people, I suppose. Well, that's right. And look, at the end of the day, I think you've got to give these things a go. Yeah. And give it your best shot and see how, you, you know, see how it works out. It's, it's not really much different to writing, you know, it's, I mean, I've certainly met plenty of people who say, oh, yeah, I'd like to write a book one day or whatever, yeah. or I've started writing. Well, I'm one of them. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> well, my, my advice is. <laughs> um, and look, I mean, and I was, I was one of them too at one point. And then I thought, well, no, no, hell, I'm going to do this. And, uh, you know, you, you get in there. I'm not getting any younger, so get in there and do it. And now yeah. I've got the two books out. And, 
That's brilliant. And some short stories and, and more on the way. So it's uh, it so can Andrew, be done. But yeah, look, I mean, it's like anything. You'd know the same with, with your painting. It's work. It really yeah, is work. It is. Yeah, definitely. So I'm assuming that if you do start this little group in Sydney, you'll be announcing that on your website? Yeah, absolutely. And and social media and, yeah. and, and the like. So it'll certainly... So could you it. actually just let our listeners know where they can find you? Yes. So my uh, my home online is www.abpatterson, and that's Patterson with two Ts, uh, .com.au. So that's my, uh, that's my online little cave. Yeah. No, I had a look. It's actually brilliant. I loved it. And I, I did notice the um, the policeman that write section. I thought that was very interesting. And I think the <laughs> listeners would too, because I don't think that they realise that this actually happens out there. And I mean, you know, yeah, like you said, there's a little bit of truth in what they talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes there's a lot of truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Listen, Andrew, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on as a guest. I really appreciate it. You've been so interesting and I'm sure the listeners are going to love it. Um, and as you've just said, you've given them their, your website that they can go and check out your, your stuff. And of course, the books, which is um, Harry's World and Harry's Quest. Um, and I thank you again for coming on and having a chat. No, my pleasure, Anne. And thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Anne. Bye. See ya. Ants talk. It's like Oprah, but not.